2: more most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country.
0: Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Every week at this time, plus Mondays and Wednesdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, we sit down with Retro Fitness CEO Andrew Alfano as gyms in New York finally have a timeline for reopening with extensive coronavirus guidelines, of course. We will discuss the demand for health clubs and the impact the pandemic has had on the industry. That's straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. But first, let's look at some of the top stories of the week. And Jason, let's begin with football. We're going to start with the NFL and the NCAA. Take it away.
3: Well, this is what we've all sort of been looking ahead to in many ways. We spent so many hours The three of us over the past few months, you know, talking about the NBA getting back to business, talking about the NHL getting back to business, Major League Baseball. What a mess that's been. Even Premier Lacrosse, they were able to get it all going, Major League Soccer. But we know that football, pro and college, that is, when we talk about the business of sports, that is the biggest business in the business of sports. The NFL, they are hell-bent it feels like on getting back to some semblance of normal even with some fans Lynchy, are we dreaming here
1: i thought we were dreaming i thought this was the one sport that would have no shot of going out and being able to finish a season uh now this week midweek We're taping this on Thursday morning. Teams just came out for first contact practices. They had been out in helmets and just jerseys before, so there hadn't been any contact. They're not living in a bubble, and I don't see any difference between this and Major League Baseball where some players went How The players are free to go wherever they want. There's no more training camps. They don't live in dormitories like they used to. Um, I mean, some some school teams still do. I think the Buffalo Bills are still up in uh, St. John's in New York, uh, upstate. But... It's only going to take one player to come through and just have it rip through an entire locker room. So we might be having pipe dreams about this.
3: Bar, what do you think?
0: Well, something I I didn't realize, and to give you a comparison, the CFL, the Canadian Football League, they've canceled their 2020 season. And what I didn't know is, unlike the NFL, where they generate a lot of their revenue from the national TV rights and the ads – the CFL, they generate their revenue basically from ticket sales. Yeah. And if you don't have fans in the stands, obviously, you're not going to generate much. And they were trying to come up with uh, a shortened season in Winnipeg uh, for next month, but that plan all fell through. So uh, it, you guys are right. They're hell-bent, the NFL, on doing this, and, and I just don't see it. And, and for that matter – I don't see how college football is going to do it. I mean, Notre Dame is 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 having problems
3: now. Yeah, I mean, so let's talk about that. I mean, that, as you guys both know, very close to my heart, being a Southerner, SEC football, it is all the rage. I just listened to a podcast when I was on vacation, a deep dive into the world of Alabama football. Highly recommend that. It's the Origins podcast by Jim Miller, who wrote... The definitive book about ESPN and SNL and CAA, and he did this incredible dive into the whole Saban system and in, in University of Alabama. We've talked about this a lot in this show. It's a huge business in that part of the country, in the Midwest as well, and yet the Big Ten—they're not playing football. The SEC—they are. My father went to Georgia Tech. We just got an email yesterday from Georgia Tech saying we're going to be playing lower capacity at the stands, but the only good news it feels like coming out of that, for the first time ever at Historic Grant Field, they're selling beer. So maybe that's how you get through it, (laughs) is you just drink a lot? Like, I mean, I, I just, I don't see it. I don't see it, especially to your point, Michael Barr, when you have students being quarantined, whether it is at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill down in North Carolina, or at Notre Dame, where they've taken everybody online. I don't know what it's like up by you, Lynchy, but I, just, I don't see college football being viable here, especially as well, part of a college system. Well, the governor of
1: Massachusetts yesterday said that no fans will be allowed at any games through the month of September. So the mm-hmm. Patriots have two home games. That's out. Boston College is in the ACC. They're going ahead and they're playing. They have okay. home games, no fans allowed. The big thing with college football... I have a nephew who's leaving for Syracuse on Friday. So right now, just the football team is on campus. But here comes everybody from every part of the country, and you don't know where they've been, who they've been around. And I don't care how many times you tell a college student, look, this is a dangerous uh, virus, and no social social distancing. There's going to be keg parties. There's going to be parties off campus, and everyone's going to go to them, and somebody's going to get sick, and somebody's going to infect a college football player. It's got to happen. It's almost impossible.
3: Yeah. So one of the things we have seen work, and as of today, and this hopefully will hold until you're listening to this (laughs) over the weekend, as Lynchy said, we're taping this on Thursday, the NBA in the bubble has had zero cases. The quarantine playbook, that's what the U.S. Open, the U.S. Tennis Open, uh, set to happen here in New York City, is going to follow as well. And yet, it's very clear this is going to be a very, very different open, and it's going to be a lot less star-studded. And I'm not just talking about the famous New Yorkers in the stands. Even the on-court Michael Barr is going to be uh, a little weak.
0: Yeah, uh, it's it's not going to have the same atmosphere. Uh, and and I don't know if anybody realized it. Uh, no fans. And among the athletes and and the people there, they're going to be uh, social distancing ambassadors. And what they're going to do is that they're going to make sure that people are safely staying away uh, in a space for distance and people are wearing masks. They're going to have uh, 500,000 masks that they're going to have on site so they can distribute those to people uh, in need for for that and, but I just don't know. Uh, it's going to be an, eh, you know, it's like the crowd is always something in any sporting event. I wonder what it's going to be
3: like uh, without fans this time. But Lynchy, I mean, you look at the players who are playing and are not playing. No Nadal, right. no. Ashley Barty, no Simona Halep. You do have at this moment, again, here we are on Thursday, August 20th, Serena Williams, Djokovic, and Andy Murray. They are still going to play, or they are still scheduled to play I don't know. It. I, I'm. I'm so. I'm so bummed about this. We usually our Business Week show. We usually do yeah. two live broadcasts yeah, sure. from the U.S. Open, and obviously we're not doing that this year. It just. I don't know. It's sort of limping across the finish line to me.
1: Well, it's like watching one of those matches over in one of the auxiliary courts where yeah. you know there's there's a uh, hundred bleacher seats. You know, right? You'll be able to hear a lot of the grunting going on <laughs> when they serve. And... <laughs> 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 you won't. You won't need any microphones on the on the court for that. That's one of the one of the advantages. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but it's, I, but you know what? But but if you starve for tennis, um, you know, the names you just rattled off, that's enough for me.
3: Yeah, there you go. I mean, that's true and and I will say I think part of my sadness around it is, you know, not being able not just to do our broadcast, but, you know, I typically go out a number of nights and sort of take it all in and it's just the quintessential to me New York sports experience it sort of signals the dawn of the fall the end of the summer you sort of go and you see and be seen uh, in any case, all right, back to baseball before we wrap up. Got to talk about Trevor <laughs> Bauer. He was on this show. Man, I think irascible is the only word that you can use in polite company <laughs> that really captures who this guy is. Uh, he wanted to wear some cleats as an homage to some extent to... Joe Kelly, a name familiar to you, Lynchy, now playing for the Dodgers. He obviously was caught up in this big sort of scandal of sorts with the Houston Astros. But Trevor Bauer, he will not be tamed. Free Joe
1: Kelly. Free Joe <laughs> Kelly. The Joe <laughs> Kelly Fight Club. These people are still wearing T-shirts up here, the Joe Kelly Fight Club, because he took on a member of the New York Yankees one day. He stood on the mound and said, come on, come on, get me. And yeah. they just, you know, head uh, up brawl. So he is beloved up here forever and ever. Uh, but, you know, Trevor Bauer, you're right, he, uh, he walks to his own beat. And uh, he, we had him on this show, and he was absolutely fascinating. Major League Baseball has threatened uh, that if he, has, that he wears any shoe like that, he could be suspended and fined. And we all know the suspensions are a lot longer now than they were before this uh, restart happened. So uh, he's interesting, and he's also uh, five strikeouts away from some um, – libation
3: coming the way yeah. of uh, the folks in cincinnati <laughs> this is the best part of this i mean bauer as as you heard and if you if you missed that edition of this show you got to go back and listen to it because you get a sense of this guy as someone who is just thinking about his brand his business data and analytics and to your point about libations basically he's gotten into this twitter conversation with budweiser that basically says if he reaches a certain level of strikeouts they are going to put out a limited edition <laughs> budweiser can in his honor and listen it doesn't get any better than that if you're an athlete right
0: what was that what was i think it was what 14 strikeouts over two games well they got nine strikeouts Uh, in one game, and he just needs that five, I I didn't think he was going to get it. But he might get this now.
3: Well, we're speaking on a Thursday, and last night, the same day that he basically declined, probably smartly, to wear these Free Joe Kelly cleats that he had designed <laughs> and put out on Twitter, he went out and threw a one-hitter <laughs> and and won the back half of a doubleheader for the Reds. So that's the best thing about him to me is that he's got a mouth on him and certainly a virtual <laughs> mouth on him, but listen, when he gets on the mound— It's put up or shut up, and everybody else has to shut up. Just saying.
0: By the way, before we – I know we were short and i got to log out, but uh, Kelly is on the injured reserve list, uh, injured list, but he's going to have to serve a five-game suspension when he comes off the list because it was initially eight games. Uh, Apparently, the reliever threw at Astros third baseman Alex Bregman and shortstop Carlos Correa on July 29th. Gee, I don't know why, but but, uh, but let's just say there's some hard feelings. I'll leave it at
3: that. There is. and But there's also a lot of merch available on Trevor Bauer's uh, website if you want to support the legendary Joe Kelly. No relation
2: to me.
0: <laughs> now let's get to this week's interview with Retro Fitness CEO Andrew Alfano. Andrew, great to have you on the show.
2: Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate
3: it. So, Andrew, let's talk about the news of the day, which is Jim's finally, uh, here in the New York area at least, reopening at reduced capacity. What do you make of it? What do you make of this timeline that we've been on? Is it too soon, too late? How do you describe it?
2: Today is day 157, if you could imagine, that uh, health clubs have been closed in New York and New Jersey. Uh, the disappointing part, uh, I would say, is that the federal government had originally put us uh, in phase one, recognizing health clubs, exercise, and fitness as being essential. So uh, we're very pleased that we finally have the opportunity, uh, given the fact that uh, the high majority of health clubs are individually owned and operated. And certainly, uh, Retro Fitness is a 100% franchised organization. So every one of our clubs is, in fact, owned by a small business owner. So 157 days of no revenue, Um, the the time couldn't come soon enough, obviously.
0: I'd like to expand on that because, as you said, the franchisees, they were kind of taking it on the chin. Has there been any kind of assistance provided to any of the franchisees?
2: Uh, Unfortunately, no. Uh, I I can share what we have done as a franchisor. Uh, Back on March 12th, uh, I put out an internal uh, PSA to our uh, franchise community. And shared with them, you know, as as this was evolving, we hadn't gone to a mandatory close as of yet, but there were certainly markets around the country that were "quote unquote" highly recommending closures. So um, I got in front of that uh, myself and the executive team and shared that if in fact you were to move to a mandatory close uh, as a good franchise, or we were going to go through this together, we were going to go through this with you, and we stated back in March that. We would waive not defer we would waive all royalties all technology fees all ad fund fees and we went one step further to say while you're still open stop spending stop spending your marketing dollars we'll take care of that for you Um, because we recognize for franchisees and small business owners cash is king and what we wanted to do was help them preserve as much as they could uh, at the onset uh, knowing we we were going to need uh, all guns blazing coming out of this, um, but other than what the franchisor has done for small business owners. Uh, Day 157, there's been zero guidance as to why they've needed to stay closed. There's been no supporting data. And more specifically to your question, even worse, there's been zero financial relief for these small business owners.
1: Andrew, there's a lot of hurdles to uh, opening up uh, on Monday, Um, 33% capacity, masks must be worn, uh, new ventilation um, protocols, and the big word here, inspections. Which of these hurdles uh, is the highest hurdle for for you and your franchisees to uh, to get over?
2: Uh, Right now, I would say it's the inspections. Again, we were very pleased that uh, Governor Cuomo announced that the gyms could open on August 24th. Unfortunately, uh, given the relationship he has with the mayor of New York City, um, the mayor is actually taking it one step further, not allowing, as of right now, what we understand is he's not recognizing the August 24th and said that he's prioritizing the inspections and rightfully so by the way they have limited resources this is not a disparaging comment uh... rather um, mayor de blasio has said that he will be prioritizing inspections for schools uh... and and other uh... industry and gyms will come after that So uh, as of right now, it's our understanding that the five boroughs, uh, health clubs, will not get the green light. We're currently working very closely with the state, uh, which is something that uh, we've been doing in both New Jersey and New York. Uh, We've had a great relationship with them since the beginning. So going back and forth with the state, going back and forth with the city, really just trying to understand how we get past it. Uh, The inspections right now seem to be um, the bigger hurdle. Um, But honestly, the uh, 33 percent capacity on the surface. uh, Obviously, we would like to see more. Again, 47 other states uh, in the country have figured out how to get health clubs open safely in some capacity. Uh, The good news and or not good news with the 33 percent capacity is because people are working from home, uh, and or perhaps not working at all, which which would be highly unfortunate. We're not seeing the surge in our in our clubs outside of New York and New Jersey in those evening day parts or those early morning day parts. We're seeing people come to the gyms, um, you know, ten in the morning, eleven in the morning, one, three in the afternoon. During day parts, we wouldn't normally see it. So we're still seeing very strong activity. Uh, matter of fact, uh, we are up in every one of the other states that we operate in, and, and we operate in 12 other states around the country so revenue is up uh the joins are up so we still have more people joining and the check-ins uh are are up in 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 a big way so on the surface it sounds like the occupancy might be a hindrance Uh, again we like to see more and we hope to get to more sooner rather than later Uh, but because it's thinned out throughout the day it's not as big of a hurdle as you would think the uh next big question is typically around masks and uh, we have offered right from the onset to both New Jersey and New York that we would, uh, there's no question that we would go with a 100% mask uh, the entire time. Uh, and we had already implemented a number of uh, industry, uh, across the industry, not just retro fitness, but working with other industry leaders, a number of best in class, um, you know, sanitation practices, temperature checks, uh, et cetera, to make sure that we were keeping Uh, the members' health and safety a top priority, as well as employees. So at
3: this moment, uh, Andrew, sort of maybe setting aside for a minute whatever was lost in these 150 plus days, do the economics work for a franchisee, given the numbers that you're seeing so far, to remain open and viable at this lower occupancy rate?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. It's a little twofold, uh, because there hasn't been any financial relief. What happens is the day they open, here come the landlords, here come the banks, here come the vendors, and everything that has been building up into this point in time. So it's just not as simple as you throw the switch and you open, and is, is it a viable business model? It is absolutely a viable business model, and the amount of investors and new franchisees that see fitness as a tremendous opportunity going forward, that's one conversation but for folks that are currently or have gone through the pandemic, the other challenge is the catch-up. You know, how do we keep the landlords at bay? Uh, some have been very cooperative uh, to their credit, but the reality of it is, is they're running a business as well. And, you know, they have um, certainly bills they need to pay. Uh, in, in too many instances, we've had landlords um, really strong-arming uh, far too many, for, for my liking, uh, through the pandemic. So, one, we got to get them open. Uh, we've done our part as an organization uh, to be very franchisee friendly to help them procure and um, you know, hold on to cash. Uh, but the second part of it is, um, you know, they got to get going. But the, the model is there. The model does work. Uh, and again, we've had a ton of uh, interest from uh, investors from a area development and territory development perspective, as well as individual franchisees going back to I would say the downturn where there was you know high unemployment franchising and people wanting to, uh, or needing, not wanting, but wanting to uh, buy themselves a job, Uh, we're we're seeing a lot of uh, interest in fitness, given uh, some of the disruption in some of the other industries. All
3: right. So, Andrew, let's go a little retro in this conversation. Take us back to the beginning. Uh, Help us understand the concept of retro fitness.
2: Sure. Uh, Well, we are celebrating, very proud to be celebrating our 15-year anniversary. Uh, We were founded in New Jersey, And one of the points of differentiation, I believe, that we have is that every town that we went to uh, through the years is we really became the hometown gym, And uh, certainly uh, being founded in New Jersey, uh, that is our largest market. And you will see the the individual uh, franchisee, small business owner there in the club. Uh, The high majority of our clubs in New York and New Jersey are... Um, individually owned and operated with the franchisee uh, operating in the in the club so we build a uh, community within inside the four walls of our clubs uh, but at the same time uh because these folks are from uh, those communities we're also uh, becoming or have become a fabric of the community that they operate in so these franchisees uh live in those towns they go to the same kids go to the same schools they stand in the same line at the deli uh it, it's really great Uh, And we play in what's called the high-value, low-price sector of fitness. And, uh, you know, myself, uh, I'm not from the fitness industry. I joined Retro Fitness about 15 months ago. And when I was doing my diligence uh, on the organization, you know, initially I was thinking, geez, why do I want to get into uh, fitness? It's such a crowded space. Yeah. And, you know, when you step back uh, and, and really, you know, Back the onion, for lack of a better analogy, it's really divided into very uh, distinct categories. Um, and you certainly you have the boutiques, which is the Orange Theories and Pilates and, and Soul Cycles of the world. And uh, that's one sector. And in many ways, uh, they're not competition for us. Uh, many of those um, members, or many of their members, actually also have a gym membership. Uh, so in many instances, we actually like those guys. Uh, then you have the high-value, high-price, which are the Equinoxes, the country club gyms, if you will. Uh, the third sector is the big-box guys, uh, the L.A. Fitness uh, and whatnot. They're the forty, fifty, sixty thousand 60,000 square foot uh, health clubs. Uh, and, and then you have the fourth sector, which is us, which is high-value, low-price. We are the third largest uh, in the country. Uh, but very quickly, uh, you dissect that. And you see, it's not as big or, or as um, congested as, as one may think. So we like our positioning uh, at, in the high value, uh, low price space. Uh, we have two price points, two points of entry. One is uh, the core membership at nineteen ninety nine, and one is our ultimate at twenty nine ninety nine. And we go much further than you know, machine against machine or cardio against cardio. Uh, we really have expanded over the course of the last 15 months a whole new transformational journey and a new strategic vision. So the club is certainly the brick and mortar and our core business. But as we've expanded the health and wellness platform, and and in many ways, the pandemic uh, has complemented the journey that we're on as we've created a, a new technology roadmap, but we're very focused on nutrition uh we have online cooking classes very focused on mental health which uh you know is certainly you know very topical these days with the pandemic um, may was mental health awareness month and it was uh originally founded in 1949 and you know mental health really has not come uh, anywhere near made the strides it's needed to uh and then from a technology roadmap, map uh, not coming from the industry Uh, I have tapped into uh, peers of mine and networked with other best-in-class consumer-engaging apps like Starbucks and Chipotle and Subway or Dunkin', very different than the quintessential fitness apps, uh, and we're going to continue to evolve. And I think that's going to be a real point of differentiation for us from others in the pack Mm -hmm. as uh, we really look at this as consumer engagement with a brand and not just how to get members to come to your club.
0: Where do you see the future of gyms? Uh, unfortunately, in a COVID-19 world. Where where do you see it going?
2: Well, I, I think at the end of the day, um, well, I'll, I'll say it this way, because I want to be as, as respectful as possible. You really have to deal uh, and understand the pandemic and, and COVID, uh, you know, with the fragility and sensitivity it warrants. But the reality of it is if you were to strip away the crisis component of it and the unfortunate deaths that were associated uh, for fitness, uh, this may have been one of the best commercials uh, we ever could have asked for because if you 're not going to take getting healthy seriously now after the pandemic uh, you you may never take it seriously so i I do think there you know the at home solutions uh, will always uh, there 'll always be a place for that, but at the end of the day, people need people, people want a sense of community, people want a sense of belonging. And they want to go back to their health clubs, and and we can share very strong data uh, in all of our other markets that we operate that um, people are coming back in droves. And a matter of fact, our clubs in Pennsylvania, we're seeing over two thousand members a week coming across the state line from New Jersey, where they can't work out, wanting to get back to their their health club and to their workout routine. So. I think the health club uh, will continue to evolve, but at the end of the day, people need people and, and people want that sense of community. Uh, it, it's a point of inspiration and it gets them motivated.
1: Andrew, I hear alarming stories from a lot of my friends who are gym members that during this pandemic, while the gyms were shut down, that they kept having their uh, checking accounts debited for membership fees. Uh, how did you handle that with the with, uh, members uh, throughout your all their franchises?
2: Yeah, we, we heard very similar. Uh, and, and I would share, um, you know, The character of an organization and the character of leadership, while it it doesn't get created during crisis, it certainly gets further defined and accentuated. So very similar to what we did for our franchisees in deferring, I'm sorry, not deferring, but waiving uh, all of their costs, Uh, we did the same thing for our members. Uh, I, I know that some other organizations weren't in the same position. But on the same day that we um, made the announcement to our franchisees, we created a no-stress, no-call freeze for all of our members across the system. Uh, We recognized very quickly that uh, there were a lot of personal situations, uh, members were going through, people were losing jobs. And I think if you just use the filter of air on the side of people, just use that as your first filter. How wrong could you really be? And that is the filter from the very first uh, that we heard about the pandemic uh, coming into play. We use the filter of air on the side of people. And if, in fact, you do that, um, if there are mistakes to be made, anything else can be fixed. But first and foremost, air on the side of people. Uh, we have maintained a very good relationship with our members and with our franchisees because of that. Uh, but we have um, maintained the freeze. And as clubs have opened up, We've also continued to allow members to freeze. So in in 12 other states where we're operating, we recognize that some members, uh, whether they're not um, ready to come back to a a health club for whatever the reason may be, uh, we're allowing them to no cost, no call. We don't need uh, (laughs) letters from Congress to uh, substantiate why they need to freeze their membership. It's it's very simple. Just let us know. And we're letting them freeze indefinitely at this point. So, Andrew, you were
3: telling us a little bit earlier about your relatively short tenure here. What a 15 months it's been since you took over. I'm sure this is not the exact environment that you anticipated. But I do wonder, just sort of going down a level, what changed in your proverbial roadmap as you think about either geographic expansion, as you think about new tools, as you think about sort of the business going forward, sort of integrating all of those learnings that you mentioned from the various consumer platforms, but also taking into account that our lives, our work, where we live, where we work, it's all going to be different
2: potentially going forward, maybe dramatically different. Uh, Dramatically different, I I think, is an an understatement. I completely agree. Uh, In many ways, uh, timing is everything. Uh, I I would share that if uh, this pandemic had hit, say, uh, 12 months ago, uh, I'm not sure that we'd be in the same position to have the conversations that we're having. But in putting forth a, a transformational uh, journey, a, a new strategic vision uh, with our new leadership team, there were a lot of uh, very quick uh, decisions that we implemented, tactics, if you will, that positioned the company uh, not only um, you know to continue to excel, but we wound up having in January, uh, not just a a good January over January, we had the best January in the history of the company as a result of some of the strategic moves that we've made. And we ultimately were having the best Q1 in the history of the company that we've ever had. And it really positioned us quite well going into the pandemic. So as as luck would have it, um, again, timing is everything, Uh, a little luck on your side never hurts. But as a result of having very strong revenue and strong positioning that's what afforded us the opportunity to do the things that we did for our franchisees and for our members uh, with that uh, we had uh, put in and put in place a new go- to market strategy and if you were to ask me you know geez Andrew what what in fact do you do I mean what made you come to you know this industry um, given my, my uh, historic track record with um, Starbucks, which is where I spent the majority of my, my career. Um, scaling business and building or redefining brand are really the two things that I do. So we really see this as a very unique opportunity to capitalize on what I believe to be a lot of uh, opportunity out there in real estate. Uh, there has been you know, some um, fitness organizations that have fallen to the wayside. So I, I liked our positioning uh, back in Q1 with a lot of competition, uh, but there have been some folks, uh, Town Sports, uh, 24-Hour, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've claimed bankruptcy, LA Fitness, uh, we're hearing is taking a pretty large portfolio haircut. So we liked our positioning uh, back then uh, when it was a little more crowded. We really like our positioning now coming out of this, knowing that some of the competition, and and unfortunately there are some mom and pops that aren't making it back either. So we, a uh, matter of fact, we just uh, signed an agreement with uh, district real estate advisors uh, out of Massachusetts. Um, we have an emerging market, uh, go to, you know, strategy on some very specific places that we're going to be going. And we also have an infill market strategy. So we like our positioning. Uh, we do agree that things are going to be different, which is why we're expanding the health and wellness platform beyond the brick and mortar. Uh, at least for us, uh, I'm not for sh- sure for some others, but for us, we only get the average regular member and or super regular member to the club three and a half to four and a half hours a week. So when you think about that, and and the, those that are really into health and wellness or fitness, that lifestyle is occurring all the time, which is why we have pivoted to the um, the online classes. Uh, we we are going to have an at home solution. Uh, the cooking, the nutrition, the mental health, you know, much more, much bigger and broader than just the brick and mortar. And and again, I think that's going to create some separation between us and others.
0: I want to expand more. You were talking about that, about the the real estate uh, because of other gyms who are having their issues and have gone belly up, unfortunately. Uh, You guys have a different model. And you mentioned, if I heard it right, that it is benefiting you in a way, and and for lack of finding a a better term of this, because uh, either COVID-19 or just simply they had a different business model that didn't work. Can you expand more about uh, the advantages you guys have with your model in getting the real estate?
2: Sure. Thank you. Uh, So we recognize that between uh, retail outlets, uh, which were before the pandemic being uh, hindered by Amazon, uh, the restaurant industry, which was also another franchise-friendly industry, uh, they were, you know, going through their own transformation, if you will. Uh, certainly with millennials, who, you know, but whether it be the Uber Eats, uh, they want it now. They want it from the farm. Um, <laughs> they, they want you to bring it to them. Uh, you know, a lot of industry that would typically be in the strip centers that we uh, have been operating in, uh, it's it's really gone through, it's at an inflection point said differently. Our average box size is a fifteen to 18,000 square foot box. So we are not a freestanding 40,000, 50,000, 60,000 square foot box. Being a little smaller, uh, it allows us to be more nimble and to have conversations with landlords that may be looking to uh, generate traffic back to a shopping center that... Um, you know, used to be uh, very viable. So uh, we're having a lot of conversations. Uh, I will tell you the inbound calls from private equity, uh, family offices, as well as landlords, recognizing that we're coming out of the pandemic not only healthy, uh, but we're ready to run and run hard. And because we, the way we were positioned going into the pandemic, it's really affording us a, a very unique opportunity.
1: Andrew, I can only imagine the average cost per franchise to get up and running. I can see a whole bunch of vans lined up outside. you got a carpenter, you got a electrician, you've got an HVAC show, and you might even have a storage person to move some equipment in and out. Uh, have all these things already been started? Are they underway? And what is the average cost per franchise?
2: Sure. So the uh, the average cost for build-out, um, this is not a, uh, a small uh, Coldstone or, or, or Duncan. Uh, these, these are... Um, you know, a, a big investment. It's a 1.5 to 1.7 million dollar build out. Um, franchise cost or fees is uh, 29,000 to get in. Uh, so pretty reasonable there. But the model itself uh, is is a very very profitable model. Uh, the majority of our clubs uh, average between 1.5 and 1.7. We have clubs over 2 million, uh, and they kick out around 30% on the bottom. So um, not only that, but part of what we've done over the course of the last 15 months is that we've created a whole new suite of services. So we now locate the real estate. We deliver a turnkey solution. Uh, and moving from Colts Neck, New Jersey, to our West Palm Beach, we have built a brand new support center, which has a a learning um and training center, so really making sure that um, we're helping our franchisees that enter the system uh, get out of the gate running hard, and uh, we work very closely with them with regards to um, their break-even. So one of the things that we focused heavily on is we do not want franchisees burning through working capital. We want to get them to break-even as quickly as possible. Uh, The new model and the training that we have implemented over the course of the last 15 months has really played out very well. And, again, we we like our positioning, uh, we like the model, and we love where fitness is going. Um, uh, Again, I think if you take the the crisis away from the pandemic, uh, not only is fitness going to continue to be relevant, it may be more relevant than ever going forward.
0: Andrew Alfano, we really do appreciate it. You've been so kind to talk with us, the CEO of Retro Fitness. We really do appreciate you coming by and talking with us about getting fit I, I was i'm still getting fit but then i had a surgery and then uh let's make a deal came on and i got distracted and we <laughs> really we really do appreciate it and i'm going to get back uh, to the
3: gym we appreciate it again thank
2: you well maybe well hopefully you come down to retro fitness we can uh, we can Do it together. (laughs) forward to that.
3: Andrew, thank you so much. Be well. So a very timely interview, obviously, guys, given what's going on here in the tri-state area. I was surprised, actually, even right at the top to hear how Jim's just sort of kept getting pushback and pushback uh, and pushback. On the one hand, I get it. On the other hand, it felt like this would have been more of a priority for public officials given the number of small businesses that we're talking about, and also that health and wellness is sort of at the core of this. I guess people are just worried about small inside gatherings.
0: Yeah, and, uh, I agree with you. And and I guess the the takeaway I got from that, from this interview also, was simply, uh, unfortunately, the franchisees uh, are the ones uh, that are struggling through all of this. And, and at least uh, the retro... Uh, Fitness is trying to do something. I mean, it's yeah. not much they can do, but uh, I mean, at least they they are aware of the problems that the franchisees are having.
1: I agree with that, Mike. Uh, what struck me is that back on March twelfth, he got uh, all the franchise. Uh, uh, owners together and said we're going to go through this together we're going to waive all fees for you we're going to take care of all the marketing fees don't you worry about a thing and you know and we all know other businesses that said hey you you bought the franchise it's your problem mike i can't deal with it right now and so um you know the mothership is looking out for all the uh, the franchisees and and you know when times are tough when when you have a boss or you have a friend who's loyal to you uh that that's a lifetime bond and a lifetime pact and I think it was a great move by Andrew
3: yeah no interesting and I mean and I think it's notable that this is a guy and I've followed the fitness business for a long time this is not a guy who's of it in many ways you know he worked at Starbucks he worked at the learning company before he did this and uh so to your point Lynchie it seems like he understands sort of the customer more than anything. And also the notion of these small businesses, I think is a really important thing to remember. So we'll see where this business, this specific business goes. Um, also interesting to hear him note that, you know, they were in the midst of this transformation when this massive, unexpected pandemic hit. And, uh, you know, timing is everything, as he said. So uh, best
2: of luck to him, for sure.
3: My goal is if you to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since I'm a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike.
2: My... We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at
0: a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business and Sports, the number of the week. Well Ding, ding, and ding. That's the bonus bell. You know what it's time for, everybody. Huddle around the set again. Turn it up. It's time for the number of the week. Oh, boy. Here we go. Yeah, buddy. (laughs) I'm going to give you the number. $32 billion in consolidated revenue generated by this person. And I will give you a hint. It is very timely.
3: 32 billion dollars generated by this person Wow and it is
0: very timely
3: this very weekend timely very timely this week this weekend Oh boy hmm. So, it's a sports figure because this is the business of sports. I hope it's a sports figure, right, Michael Barr? No,
0: it's not Queen Elizabeth. Not like okay. that time.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Not like, yeah, the Duchess of York. Um, uh, but timely this weekend. What's going on this weekend, Lynchy?
1: Well, let's see. uh TPC Boston, Tiger Woods, is playing. Uh, yeah. Could he have uh, accumulated? Uh, I think we're a week shy of the U.S. Tennis Open. I was going to say the Williams sisters. But I'm going to go with Tiger Woods, uh, consolidated revenue. Uh, that's how much Tiger Woods has uh, uh, consolidated. and He's playing in the um, Northern Trust Open this weekend. Jason? I'm I, way off. <laughs> if
3: $32 billion One. One person, presumably an athlete. I do, I can't get the timeliness of it. I like that. I like that guess. But I mean, I, I think my billion, mind is billion dollars. Thirty-two that's billion a, dollars. Yeah. That was
0: uh, a B, right? Yep, that's a B. Mm, I
3: don't. I mean, I, my mind is so on the NBA playoffs that I, I'll go with Michael Jordan. Although I, I don't think that that's right.
0: Okay, you're both wrong. Yeah. I'm just going to make this noise.
1: <laughs>
3: Oh, it has something to do with cars.
1: Oh, Daytona's this weekend, right? Well, Indianapolis.
3: Indianapolis. Indianapolis.
0: Indianapolis. 104th, Roger Penske. Ah. Man, this is his first Indy 500 as owner of the Brickyard. Uh, It will not have fans, uh, unfortunately. Uh, And Mr. Penske said, uh, sorry for that, and he will miss the fans. But it is the 104th running of the Indy 500. No, I'm talking about the front row. Marco Andretti on the pole at 231.068. Scott Dixon on the inside, uh, in the middle, uh, I should say, at 231. Uh, And then uh, Takuma Sato, a former winner with Rahal Letterman Racing at 230.7. So that's the front row. For the 104th running of the Indianapolis 500.
3: But wait, what's the $32 billion? $32 Penske? billion.
0: That's Penske. That, that's what he generates. Good It's consolidated lord. revenue.
1: We, we should have known, Jason,
3: that it had something to do with the NASCAR. I or I, I, racing, I just, you know? yeah, that's, that's on me. That's yeah. on me. <laughs> in case. Good lord. I All
1: did right. tell that the other day when Stash was filling in, uh, during the Super Bowl in Indianapolis, they had media night. Over at the uh, at the Indy five hundred uh, racetrack, and it was a pretty big thrill. We went up in the pagoda and had hamburger sliders, and then everyone got to get down to the finish line and, and bend over and kiss the bricks of the finish line. It was pretty wow. cool. Wow! Oh man, see, I would love to
0: do anyway. I'm, I'm yeah. dreaming. Uh, this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports show. We are here each and every week at the same time, plus online wherever you get your podcast, and you can catch those Mondays, <laughs> Wednesdays, <laughs> and Thursdays. <laughs> I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar
1: Sports. Ladies and gentlemen, start your engines. I'm
3: Mike Lynch at Lynch EWCBB. And bringing up the rear, I'm Jason Kelly on Twitter. Find me <laughs> at Jason Kelly News. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you next week.
0: Speed bugging. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world.